0: And I can see the ground, now I'm way too gone, way too gone. Alright legends, welcome back dude to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive truly, okay? Feel the hype, spread the hype, etc dude, okay? Et cetera. But this episode's going to be a little bit different this week. Uh, We do have a guest on today's episode, but I'm also just going to do the solo podcast as well, okay? Now, I received some feedback on the guest episodes while I was away, and I'll be candid, the feedback was of a a positive nature, okay? So in response to that feedback, we got ourselves a little feedback loop here. While I've got the time, because I'm not currently working during the day, I thought, why don't I do a few weeks where I'll do the solo pod? And then we'll chuck a guest episode on the back of it. Really, it's something for everyone. Dine-in, Pizza Hut-type experience uh, for you, the listener. And to the 17 loyal human beings who watch this thing week in, week out on the Restless JPEG format, otherwise known as YouTube. Okay? So this week, we have Sydney stand-up comedian Freddie McManus on the podcast. And Freddie is a certified POM So kind of stepped in as a bit of a royal correspondent as I quizzed him as to why English people care so deeply about the royals. And then there's some other stuff in there as well. A lot of bands, a lot of yarns, you know, a lot of great classic hits. So that's going to be after the solo episode and the next few weeks probably have a few guests on as well and just do both because who cares? There's no rules, you know what I mean? We're fucking we're at 10 pin bowling with the bumpers up. Pizzas on the way, okay? Catch me caring, dude. We're having a great time. So, while I've got your attention, the slightest bit of administration as well. Firstly, the Homecoming East Coast Comedy Tour which I am on starts this weekend in Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and then we're going to Port Macquarie, Newcastle and Sydney next week. Come along if you like, last chance to get those tickets. I think if you buy three or more, they're like 50% off or something like that. There's a pretty sick deal going down. So I hope to see you there. But apart from that, I am back and so is La Nina. Okay, now this isn't some Dominican bird I've been kissing on the lips. This is a weather system, people. And the east coast of Australia is in a frenzy. Okay, now I'm just going to project my coastal existence onto the rest of you here. But on the east coast of Australia, if you live sort of, you know, in a coastal location, La Nina is a big deal, apparently, because people are in a frenzy. There's a hysteria that is set into the local area. And here's the deal. La Nina basically means it's going to rain all summer. Okay. So you've got El Nino. That means, you know, 28 degrees, great classic hits, etc., cetera, et cetera. Then you've got La Nina, which means, you know, clouds, rain. I mean, never send a woman in to do a man's job. I think that's what this has taught us, you know, Uh, whether that be uh, sort of normal jobs or as far as being the low-pressure system off our East Coast, you know. Apparently, we've got to get a bloody man to do that as well. But here's the deal. Due to climate change, possibly, I'm not sure, I'm making this up, Here's the deal. La Nina is back for a third summer in a row. And traditionally, I think we're only supposed to have one every five years. And to be honest, it's starting to feel a little bit like fucking downtown Birmingham around here uh, with some of these summers, okay? And the amount of La Nina's we're having, it's starting to. It's like a Marvel film at this point. It's like, all right, we get it. Avengers 47. Okay, we've seen it. We've fucking seen it, okay? And here's the thing the first La Nina was great because it rained all summer, but the previous summer we had nothing but chaotic bushfires. We lost half the south coast. So then we had La Nina the next summer, right? Rained all summer, but at the same time you're thinking, fuck, at least Kayama isn't burning to the ground. So then, then we have a second La Nina last summer rained all summer but we all had covid we couldn't go outside anyway okay the only people who didn't get covid last summer i would argue would never have left the house in the first place okay if you lived in sydney last december january and you did not contract covid i'm sorry to be the one to tell you that you are a nerd okay because i i know people who fucking stuck their head out the window of their own apartment. And caught COVID. Sometimes two strains, okay? It was going fucking nuts in that time. And so Lenina is coming back for a third time, and there's a lot of negativity on the coast uh, surrounding this event, as far as, oh no, it's gonna rain all summer, this sort of stuff, okay? And I'm here to tell anyone who's worried about the weather to stop doing that immediately, okay? Who gives a fuck if it rains this summer? We're out the back of two pandemics, two lockdowns, two years of, you know, bloody coughing at each other and not being able to sit on a stool at your local pub. I don't care if it is raining sideways and the weatherman on television says every bit of lightning is going to strike me personally. I am attacking this summer at pace, okay? Okay. I don't give a fuck about the rain and I don't think anyone should. <laughs> it's just water, lads. You know what I mean? People that complain about the rain, it's like, well, what are you going to bloody do about it except complain, you know? I used to work in an office and people would complain about the rain and it's like, I'm sorry, is your computer solar powered? I'm sorry, is there is there a a one meter by one meter square hole in the roof right above your desk? Babe, we're working inside. Who gives a fuck? Okay? You're complaining about the weather in an office. Okay? There is no God inside these walls. The fucking Fujitsu air conditioner in the corner is the only deity we need. We got this thing on 24. One of the blokes behind me has got his shirt off, you know? He's getting a tan back there. And you're complaining about the fucking rain. Who gives a shit? It's just water. You know? The hysteria in Sydney around La Nina... It's all people talk about, you know? You run into someone at Woolies, how you going, Jamo? Oh, mate, I've just got a promotion. I've just had my second healthy child. I also won the lottery, but fuck, mate. Lenin is back. Lenin is coming back. It's going to rain. Mate, we're too far gone for that, okay? If the lockdowns have taught you anything, it's to jump at any opportunity to have a good time while you still can, okay? December is a state of mind at this stage. And I won't be letting the rain or the wind or anything else stop me from getting absolutely written off this summer as God intended. And I would hope that you would be feeling the same way. Here's the thing. People who are complaining about Lenina, they're the same people who don't go to the pub when it drizzles anyway. And it's the same argument. Mate, the pub's got a bloody roof on it, okay? If I know people in their early 20s who will not go to the pub because it's drizzling. And it's like, mate, if this is the sort of backbone and self-belief and perseverance you're showing towards life in your early 20s, what the freaking hell type of perfect conditions are you going to need at the age of 40 to get up off the couch? But anyway, let's crack into the yarns from the week that was. So Thursday night, I was hosting a Pretty sick gig at Lake Macquarie, the Warners Bay Theatre. Okay, now I wasn't aware Warners Bay was a place. I think it's right, it's as close to Newcastle as you can get without being in Newcastle. I think the people of Newcastle should potentially look at invading and taking over Warners Bay because it's confusing to us city folk, okay? So drove to Warners Bay... Two hours on the nose, and I'm happy to say the Mazda Metro fucking flew there. It's it's possible. But people said, "Oh, who'd you fly in with?" I said, "What do you mean?" They said, "Jesus Christ, mate, the speed you were going—that had to have been a Jetstar number." You know what I mean? But but no, it was just my beautiful Mazda Metro. And here's the deal: I was hosting this thing, and they told me to get there a little bit earlier. It's a beautiful little theater, maybe 300 people. And they told me to get there a little bit earlier because this theater is a bit specific with what they want the MC to do. Okay. And, you know, whatever. I personally don't love admin. I think I've been pretty clear about that in the past, but I'm happy to serve. So the director of the theater or whoever comes up to me with like two A4 pages of stuff I've got to read out before I start the comedy. Okay, now this isn't exactly a recipe for laughs. All right, you know, you want to come out and start a comedy show. You want to bloody get into the mix straight away, get the jokes firing off because you've got to warm people up. You know, I'm the MC. I'm the master of ceremonies, if you will. It's on me to fucking see off the new ball and get things cooking. And traditionally, four and a half minutes of bland administration isn't the best way to do that. Okay, so out the gate, she wanted me to do the welcome to country. And firstly, I'm not opposed to doing the welcome to country, but I do think it would be better if an indigenous person did it traditionally. You know, was there is there anyone available? What's going on here? And so she goes, can you do the welcome to country? You know, some of the names, we're looking at upwards of five, six syllables. And I don't want to mispronounce the. If you mispronounce the traditional name of the land, before you even get into your jokes. You know, that's it. Now you're you're bombing and it's a hate crime. So I'm already like stressed about this. I'm like, can you write this out phonetically, please? Because this is a lot. Then I had to thank like three government bodies or some shit of like people who had funded the show. You know, there was like, uh, there was like the New South Wales government, the Lake Macquarie Arts Council and like the, the free the creatives initiative or something. I don't even know. And then she was like, the mayor might be here. I'll have to confirm, but we need you to acknowledge the mayor who's been a big supporter of this show. I don't know, I don't know what this thing, what's going on with this show, but it turns out millions of people have come together to put this thing on. Uh, I just get booked. I'm a hired gun. Okay. You've got me for 15 minutes of some of the best club comedy the East Coast has ever seen. Okay. I don't know. Yes, I have worked in administration in the past, but it's not really what I'm here to do. So now I'm sort of freaking up a little, uh, freaking out a little bit. You know, before I go on stage, I'm not even working on my jokes. I'm working on the pronunciation of these traditional names, you know. Not to mention, do we really need to se- send the face of colonialism, you know, old Freckles Darcy? I've probably got fucking First Fleet heritage. Do we need to send me out there to do the welcome to country, you know? Do we have someone a little more representative of the cause? But uh, so then luckily one of the other comedians is like, I'll do the welcome to country and you can just do the admin. I go, okay, thank God. So then that's down. Then I go out. So then the welcome to country gets done. Boom. She nails it and uh, better than I ever could have. And then I go out. Now I'm doing the admin and I forget what the freaking one of the bodies is. So I'm like, oh, thank you to the Lake Macquarie. I'm on stage starting the show and I'm like trying to think, I'm like Lake Macquarie arts. I couldn't remember the word council. I was like arts group. What's the word I'm looking for? Like I'm literally thinking out loud, just bombing the admin in front of 300 people. And the the director yells from backstage. She's like arts council. It's arts council. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, the arts council. And then I'm like, oh yeah. Also before we begin, the mayor, madam is here or the madam mayor. I don't know if anyone's heard this term before, Madam Mayor, but it was like the mayor, and she's a woman. Anyway, I don't know what her relationship with the town is, but I said we've got the Madam Mayor in the building, guys. Let's have a huge round of applause. No one claps, okay? I don't know if the mayor has been passing some fucking wild stuff recently, or if she's had some sort of a sexual scandal. I don't know. I don't know if the mayor of Warners Bay has recently been sexting Timmy Payne on the weekends. Or what's happened, uh, but the mayor got a terrible reception. So now I'm in it. I'm off the back of four minutes of botched admin, and I'm eating shit thanks to this director of the theatre. Okay, so really tough time. And uh, <laughs> the show ended up being great once I actually started the stand-up comedy. You know, that was actually it was actually pretty fucking good. It's almost like that's what people were there to see, or something. It's not for me to speculate. On, uh, on why they were there. But, you know, it felt like that was the vibe because once I started telling jokes, people were actually fucking into it. So leave the admin out. I appreciate that. Anyway, so on Sunday, we had some drama at the Ladpad in the form of a pretty serious... In fact, it was pretty serious. We had a wild car crash right out the front of our apartment. Okay, now, the intersection outside of our apartment is dangerous okay there's just I don't know how to explain it even though I I easily could I am a fully qualified traffic controller um, due to my days in the trenches at Westfield okay Um, some of the traffic I was able to guide customers through during some of our biggest Christmas periods was nothing short of miracle work by yours truly okay some people you know they hold the lollipop Stop and start and stop and start. You know, they're there. They're there to cash a paycheck. They're there to direct traffic. I'm there to make your dream come true, okay? You want to fucking... It's Christmas Eve and you need to get to Target and to buy your kid, you know, whatever Barbie doll bionicle shit is flying off the shelves. I'm going to make that happen, sir, okay? I'm going to freaking control and caress this traffic, to get everyone where they need to be, okay? I was like a maestro out there. They used to, they used to call me the conductor out on the fucking intersection at Westfield, okay? So I don't want you to just think you you're listening to any old comedian, stand up or otherwise, describe a traffic incident, okay? I'm I'm an industry insider, I know what I'm talking about, okay? And you know, I'm pretty much qualified to go up in in the chopper that hovers above school bus accidents on a Tuesday morning for the today show you know like i'm i'm telling you guys i've seen my fair share of traffic incidents and and as a a pretty pretty poorly trained Westfield traffic controller i have actually caused a fair few of my own as well so i know what i'm talking about basically two motorbikes scoot scoot scooting along and the sec the first motorbike went through and it's like a T-shaped intersection. So you've got a, a woman turning right, motorbikes coming to her right. They're going straight. And this woman, from what I could tell now, I didn't see it, but this is what I deduced using my expertise. This woman has just not looked right and she's flown out and basically had a head on with this uh, Asian lady on a motorbike. And it was loud because our, our apartment's ground floor and we can see out to the road. So it was fucking loud. We were watching combat sports, minding our own business on the Lord's Day, okay? And it was loud. And how scary is this? The woman gets off the bike and then like kind of wobbled to the side of the road and then like collapsed on the grass. And we were like, holy fuck, okay? And, you know, we sprung into action. I don't want to speak out of school. I can't speak for Macaronadzi and how they were feeling. I personally fucking grilled out of my mind okay so this you know wasn't exactly in the action man action man fucking mindset but when when action calls i answer okay when action calls you don't say sorry i've just smoked three joints watching combat sports on a sunday i'm losing money at a pretty significant rate you don't say that okay you say fucking oath action i'll answer that call and as we did uh we walked out to assist, thank God, um, someone sober got there before us because they handled it better than we ever could have. The woman was okay, thank God. Then there was just, the her motorbike was not, absolutely totaled. Looked like a crumpled beer can, this thing. The woman gets out of the car. As she gets out of the car, the bloke, the other motorbike rider, who's like her friend, uh, is sprinting up the road. He's like, you fucking idiot. You fucking idiot! And then, as as he sort of comes up the hill, he sees it's a woman who was driving, and you all, you see him just go like, uh, dude, this guy was that keen to throw hands. He was fucking furious, as he should have been. It was it was the woman's fault. She pulled out. She didn't look. She absolutely flatlined this chick. Okay, and you could just see the disappointment in this guy's eyes when it was a woman who came out of the car. If it was like a 41-year-old sort of chubby guy, I reckon they'd still be out there teeing off right now. Just He'd just be flogging his lifeless body, okay? It was like, uh, I I recently had a praying. Oh, this is a, maybe six months ago, but I had a similar experience where a guy pulled out on me and I saw him. I'm coming down and I go, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And he pulled out right in front of me and I just, just... Nicked his car. Uh, it was completely his fault. And we pull over. And dude, I'm not a violent guy. I've only been in one fight in my life, which I lost handsomely. My official record is 0-1. Um, and here's the thing, dude. I was not gonna physically assault this man, but I was so angry, I was gonna throw every fucking word at the sun at this cunt. And then I'll. And then the guy got out of the car, and he was old, and as he's walking towards me the guy is just getting older he's aging in real time i swear to god this bloke was 80 when he got out of the car he was 97 by the time he got to me okay by the time he got to me he had a full oxygen mask and a walking stick the guy was so old he was like oh sorry young man what happened and i was like oh i had the exact same feelings this guy i was like don't worry about it are you okay i'm fine Okay, and I was just like, oh, I have the exact same feeling as this guy. I was like, why couldn't it be like a 37-year-old pommy bloke who I could just fucking throw verbal bricks at for the next 10 minutes and who I don't necessarily want to fight, but if he wants to fight me, we can fucking do that as well. That's how angry I am, okay? As someone who doesn't fight, that's how fucking angry I am. But then the guy was so old, I think if I even came close to insulting him, he would have just evaporated into thin air. Okay. So this guy came up, saw it's a woman and so he's just now he's just like he doesn't know where to put his anger. He's like you fucking idiot. You idiot. He's just yelling at the sky. And the woman's on the ground, she's okay, you know, she we got her some water. That was the contribution of our apartment. And then what once it became clear that the woman on the motorbike was okay, this just turned into one of the greatest sticky beaks in the history of mankind okay the woman so still in the middle of the road we have the car and the motorbike like entangled in each other so traffic's going everywhere then the woman is trying to be nice but she's also trying to plead her case she's like oh my god are you okay are you okay i'll call an ambulance also i didn't you must have come out of nowhere where'd you come from Seriously, though, is everything okay? You really need to drive more carefully because I, I looked. I swear I looked. Did you look? Because I looked. Is How's your back? How's your back? You know? She was trying to sort of manipulate the situation while also seeming nice. I was too high to, to engage with anyone. Also, even though I know in my heart for a fact it was her fault, I didn't actually see the crash. So I'm steering clear of this whole thing. You know, like, I didn't see it, so I'm just whatever. Even though I want to tell this woman, listen here, you fucking stupid cunt. You should have looked, okay? Uh, because, you know, she could have killed this poor girl. Anyway, like on cue, six to seven neighborhood dads just come out of their house. You know when something happens in the street? It's like uh, when, when like, a car crash or a tree falls down, something catches on fire, maybe a, a fire hydrant explodes, um you know, anything. Uh, a power line goes down. Local dads just like it's like a dog whistle to them. They just poke their head out and they just come out for one of the great sticky beaks. and it was it was honestly, firstly, it was it was nice, okay? about there's about ten people out there. everyone's you know, making sure the bloody, the woman's okay, and this people are calling the ambulance. So it was nice to see the community, you know. Within, this chick gets hit by a car. Within about 10 seconds, there were seven people there helping her. So that's nice. But also, just the sticky beak energy from these dads was so funny. One bloke comes out with a broom. He's cleaning up the, uh, like the crash. There's glass everywhere and metal everywhere. Then another dad comes out and he's like, Don't touch a fucking thing. That is a crime scene. It is a crime scene. He's like, Are you a police officer, mate? are you a police officer? And then the guy's like, no, I'm not a police officer. I'm just cleaning up. And he's like, well, mate, if you're not a police officer, I suggest you step back from that crime scene. And the funniest thing was, this bloke's not a fucking police officer either. He doesn't know what's going on. And then, uh, and then you know, my Westfield training kicks in. I'm like, dude, because every 15 seconds, we're almost having another car crash between the traffic coming past and all the sticky beak dads just milling around, inspecting the crash. I saw like three dads almost got hit by other cars while inspecting the crash that had already happened. You know, they were just loving it. So I was like, fuck, we like the car, both cars are, are written off, move the cars off the street because, uh, because apart from some glass, this is just a massive hazard and there's so much shit going on. It's chaos out here. More dads are popping up every second. Dads are falling out of the fucking trees at this point. Okay. And so I go, fuck, they should they should move that car. Because the motorbike is a crumpled beer can. You can throw that in my red bin at this point. But the car is parked across, horizontal across both lanes of traffic. Move it. It's just a hazard. Anyway, I'm too high to deal with this. Adzi, who's just as high as me, he's off. He's into the chaos. I go, Adzi, what's going on? Adzi goes down there. <laughs> Adzi blazed out of his mind, goes to the woman, look, I really think you should move this car. It's just a hazard. And she goes, yeah, you're right. Did you want to move it? And Adzi's like, no, 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 no. Great call from Adzi, okay? The last thing you want is the fucking oppers rock up, you know, oink, 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 here they come. And you've got Adzi with his fingerprints on a possible murder vehicle blazed to the gills, okay? So good call from Adzi. Adzi's like, no way, you're fucking moving this thing. And then, uh, so she moves the car, the dads are arguing about whether or not they can sweep up this glass without going to jail. And uh, it all got pretty fucking full on, okay? But I just go I just goes to show there is nothing better than random dads from the neighborhood just coming out. It, I mean, to be honest, it, the vibe out there, it got to the point with this car crash where I swear to God, if one of the dads cracked a beer, they would have all just pulled up a few eskies. And just settled in. I mean, the censor community out there had to be seen to be believed. I loved it. So that was our excitement for the weekend. But the excitement from last week was that rugby league superstar turned boxer, the crimson chin, the king of CTE, the man with less brain cells than punch combinations, Paul Gallen, has done it again. Okay. And this guy, you know, Paul Gallen, he's a champion. He's tough as nails. He sprinkles CTE on his wheat Peaks in the morning, and he gets the job done at all costs, okay? Now, if you're not familiar, former rugby league star Paul Gallen boxed not one, but two former rugby league players in one night last Thursday in what was possibly one of the more ridiculous boxing novelties uh, the Western world has ever seen. Now, I will say this about the Crimson Chin. I've been critical in the past of this man, uh, not because I don't like Paul Gallon. I've been critical of him because I love him so goddamn much, okay? And I just worry about his uh mental health and, you know, brain health going forward, following up a rugby league career with an amateur boxing career. I mean, for God's sake, gal, keep your hands up, mate, you know? Uh, I'm just worried this guy's going to wake up in a park one day talking to a fucking tree, asking it for directions to his nearest wishing well, okay? I think, uh, you know, it's not good to take this many knocks to the head. But luckily, Paul Gallon's had so so much CTE, he doesn't appear to think about that sort of stuff. And uh, we get to see him do this crazy shit. And I will say, fair play to the man himself, Paul Gallant beat them both, okay? He went to a decision with Ben Hannant, and then knocked out Justin Hodges after getting knocked down himself in the second fight. So fair play to Paul Gallen. You know, Bants aside, he's fucking done it. And, you know, pretty fucking cool. Uh, The the face-off and the press conference for this event was one of the funniest, most ludicrous events I personally have ever come across. Firstly, the face-offs were hilarious. Paul Gallen and Ben Hannan face-off And then Ben Hannett steps back and Justin Hodges got in his face and Justin Hodges was like really giving it to Gal. And it's like, mate, how can you carry this energy as the second man into a face off? You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fight Paul Gallen after he's already fought somebody. It's like, mate, I'm sorry, but the first man in should be carrying on like this. The second man in should just be bloody saying weird shit to him. Just be like, mate. You're gonna be dead before I even get to you. You're gonna you're gonna cancel this second fight. This second fight's never gonna happen. I'm taking a hundred grand off you to come and put my gloves on and warm up in the sheds before you get fucking sent in an ambulance to a local hospital, mate. Okay, that's what I'd be saying if I was the second man in. But Justin Hodges was more professional than I was. Paul Gallen said to Justin Hodges at the press conference, "Kiss your kids goodnight, mate, <laughs> before you go to the arena because you're not gonna see them again." which seemed like a particularly aggressive thing to say to a man before what is essentially an exhibition match. But nevertheless, um, you know, fair play to Paul Gallon. I got um, a comedian mate of mine. He's good friends with a bloke who commentates these things. And he said, apparently, these Paul Gallon fights are actually making a mozza. So fair play to Paul Gallen. Um, You know, he's boxed two men in one night. And I think with Paul Gallen is this man's endurance is just off the charts. He's actually a genius because now he can just keep, I I am almost of the opinion that Paul Gallen should keep going at this point because it's clear that no rugby league player has anywhere close to the endurance of Paul Gallen. If he can knock over two of them in one night and, and secure the bag while he's there, I mean, what's the issue? Paul Gallen may, at this point, Paul Gallen may as well just go until he dies in the ring. You know, not to get too morbid about the whole thing, but if Paul Gallen's going to, you know, this is multitasking like we've not seen before. Okay, the other day, me and Maka went down to Manly. He got some photos developed and I ordered us some coffees. You know, that I I, I thought that was pretty nifty. I thought we'd saved a couple of minutes there. But Paul Gallen, Paul Gallen laughed at that that's sort of multitasking. Paul Gallen will headline two boxing nights in one night, secure two bags and be home before midnight. You know, that's a multitasker, okay? And, you know, so what is next for Paul Gallen? Because he, he said he'll keep going. He'll keep teeing off on these uh on these rugby league players, and maybe he fucking should, you know? If he can knock over two of them in one night, it can't be too stressful. So I'd like to, you know, there's a couple of fights I'd like to see Paul Gallen have. Firstly, out the gate, Paul Gallen versus Sonny Bill Williams. I don't know how this wasn't made years ago. Have they already fought? I'm not sure. I don't know if Paul Gallen doesn't want to fight Sonny Bill because Sonny Bill's a bit younger and there's a decent chance he could just absolutely chin Gal. I really have no idea, Um, but let's make that fight, okay? And also for the press conferences, let's just script some of these jokes. You know, I mean, it's kind of awkward with the banter. I think, you know, Gal panicking and saying, kiss your kids goodnight, you might never see them again. I mean, it's a bit fucking weird, mate. You know what I mean? And then after the fight, he said they were really good blokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I fucking love that. And I'm, I'm in for all that stuff. I love them talking shit before the fights, but just make it a bit better. You know? How there wasn't a joke made about Justin Hodges being a filthy Queenslander and the second man in is beyond me. Okay? But uh, yeah, Gal versus Sonny Bill Williams. I'd like to see Paul Gallen potentially fight five under-20s players back-to-back. You know, just send these little 19-year-old halfbacks out back to back to back and Gal can just one-punch KO each of them one after another. I'd like to see potentially Paul Gallen fight Ricky Stewart after a Canberra Raiders loss in which the referee has made a poor decision that has directly influenced the result of that game. Okay, I'd like to send Ricky Stewart straight from the press conference where he has received a $20,000 fine. For his vitriol, I'd like to send him straight into the ring against Paul Gallon, who is dressed up as an NRL referee. I think that's something that would be an extremely close matchup. While Ricky Stewart is an old man with no boxing experience, I think his rage and fury uh, could potentially get him over the line. Another fight I'd like to see, I'd like to see Paul Gallen fight Carl Stefanovic at 6am after the Logies. Um, and brackets. Karl Stefanovic has won a gold Logie the night before and not slept a wink. Okay, Paul Gallen versus Carl Stefanovic still in his Logie suit from the night before, blind. He's got a boxing glove on one hand and then with his other hand, he's just beating Gal over the head with the gold Logie he so thoroughly deserves. Okay, I think that would be a fantastic fight. Uh, failing that, this is the last one. This is sort of a last-ditch one. Um, but I thought maybe we could have AFL great Wayne Kerry box Paul Gallon. But I thought to really spice things up, we could dress Paul Gallen up as Wayne Kerry's pregnant girlfriend. Okay. And just watch the great man um, throw haymakers. So that could be pretty exciting as well. There's a few possible matchups there. Uh, I'm not sure what the powers that be think of those. Um, but I think there's some really exciting matchups and ones, ones that the sport of boxing could really benefit from. So... You know, I was off the Paul Gallen train, but after this last one, I'm thinking, fuck me. You know, this guys he's immortal. Maybe Paul Gallen, maybe Paul Gallen's skull, is he like Wolverine? Is he like Wolverine, but they only injected him in his skull and his beautiful crimson chin? Because, I mean, this guy is verging on superhero territory. The fact that this guy is still eating meals that haven't been blended up for him after this many fights post rugby league is beyond me. Okay? The fact that Paul Gallon still sits down at a restaurant with his wife and looks at the menu and doesn't have to worry about which foods are solid and which foods aren't is an absolute miracle. Okay? So go on, Paul Gallen. Long live the king at this point. Hope, uh, hope some of those matchups interest you, brother. <laughs> okay, up next. I'd like to talk about an absolute mugging that was sent overseas by one of Australia's finest. Uh, Channel 9 newsreader, national treasure, and a hairline that simply won't quit. Newsreader Peter Overton has mugged the British like you would not believe uh, over the last couple of days. He was covering the royal funeral with Tracy Grimshaw. I didn't watch the funeral, so don't worry about me potentially harping on about that but what has happened is all these famous people all these royals uh, all these dignitaries are getting out of cars and you know the channel nine journalists it was their their role to identify these uh these very significant people uh as they got out of their cars and Peter overton has come out and what's happened is the british prime minister liz truss has come out of a car and peter overton and tracy grimshaw have spent about four minutes trying to work out who the fuck she is (laughs) in one of the more oft-handed, subtle muggings uh, the Commonwealth has ever seen. Okay, and, you know, the British, we love them, we hate them, and this is just a little reminder that, hey, even though we're showing solidarity right now in your time of need, don't forget that, you know, we still love to mug the pomp senseless, and this is absolutely outstanding from Peter Overton. He said he couldn't see it was her. I think we both know what he was doing. Okay. Peter Overton, it appears, is an anarchist bad boy, and I'm here for it. Okay. He he said it might be a minor royal or a lesser celebrity. (laughs) He said that about the prime minister of their nation. So Peter Overton has mugged the British PM into next week. I love it. And it's one of those muggings as well where, you know, if Peter Overton came out and said, I don't like the British prime minister, because of X, Y, and Z, or this, or that, you know, that's 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 a mugging, but it's these subtle muggings. There's nothing better than just not knowing who someone is. It's the most subtle, most disrespectful way to mug someone on planet Earth. I remember one time, uh, this guy said, oh, "Oh, yeah, he got in a fight with a, a mate of mine at a house party years ago, or something," and I was talking to his friend at a pub. And he goes, oh, Bill, fucking hell, mate. Look who it is. And I had no idea who he was. And he goes, don't you remember? You and your mate, we almost fucking got into it at a house party. And I was like, what? When? Who? Where? Why? You know, if you if someone's getting angry at you and you just give them the five Ws, there's really nothing more disrespectful than you could say. Because it's not even that I dislike you, mate. I, I question your existence. <laughs> it's... it's uh, i don't i don't have a i don't have a problem with anything you're doing because i don't fucking know what it is you know to be someone i hate you have to be someone to me and you haven't even got past that first hurdle mate you know that's disrespect of the highest order and peter overton has has sent some of this over the fucking ocean uh to our british neighbors and i absolutely love it um tracy grimshaw was on the broadcast as well and uh, you know, I'll, I'll be candid. I I don't really care for Trace. Okay, and it is one of those things with Tracy Grimshaw where she has the last few years been riding the line between, you know, really being an absolute sort of a joke, but at the same time, her longevity is something to admire. You know, it's 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 one of those things where you just think, yeah, I haven't liked her, but it is at the point where I, I haven't liked her for so long, I almost. I'm almost coming around because she's still here. But Tracy wasn't actually covering the funeral. She was covering a story about Buckingham Palace potentially being haunted by a shoddy plumber. So great journalism, babe. Great to see you've still got your boots on the ground covering the real stories. Um, But Tracy Grimshaw has actually retired from a current affair. I think she's either stopped already or she's stopping in November or at the end of this year. Um, She said in a press release that She's found it's actually quicker to just scream at old people on the street to scare them rather than, you know, sitting behind a desk each night doing it from a studio. Apparently, it's better to just take out the middleman and just come up behind oldies on the street and just scream at them, you know, I'm going to steal your house, you know. ah, Plumbers are coming to get you. You know, like, that absolute fear-mongering queen. Um, I really don't care for Tracy Grimshaw. Sorry, I'm trying to... Trying to be quite diplomatic about this because, you know, I, I'm in for teeing off on people, but I, I'm in for doing it in a creative and funny way, and I'm just trying to find find some words that aren't too aggressive for this uh, for this woman, this absolute powerhouse of Australian media. You know, she's a legacy in and of herself. Um, it does appear that these days, all you need to be a journalist in Australia is a desk with some lights on it. Okay. Um, that really is the the key, you know. Forget research, forget covering stories that would benefit the viewer, or maybe would hold the government and or other media outlets or companies accountable for their actions. You know, just get behind a desk that has some lights and graphics on it, and then from there, once you've got the desk, that's really the desk. It's either cover real stories or fucking put some more lights on the desk. That's really the situation. And uh, and Trace has chosen the desk for quite some time now. You know, there's fucking graphics and lights flying all over the place. And uh, and God bless her. Okay, I think that's where I'm at with Tracy Grimshaw. Is that, you know, if someone's a pelican for 10 years, that's one thing. But to be a pelican for 15, you do get to that point where you think, fucking hell, I honestly respect the way they've stuck to their guns here. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like... If, you, if you, you this is clearly what you like to do, and uh, the fact you've done it for so long is at, is at some point impressive. So that's how I feel about Tracy Grimshaw. Absolute good riddance there, and long live the anarchist bad boy Peter Overton. Just absolutely giving it to these palms. Okay. Now up next, something truly disturbing in the news: Zac Efron has come out, and you know I've made no ifs, ands, or buts about it in the past that I'm a huge Zac Efron fan. I think the way he transcends drama and rom-com and then just straight com is something he doesn't get the credit for. It's something we've not seen before. His transition from Disney star to Hollywood super mega star has been seamless, okay? His ability to really keep out of the news the fact that he's only like five foot six um, is masterful. And I just think he's an absolute icon, you know? So Zac Efron has come out, and he's had some facial surgery, guys. And i got to say, it looks a bit dodgy, okay? Now, he's got, like, he's had, like, maybe his jaw done or something in one of the more bizarre decisions I personally have ever seen. Because, fuck me, if Zac Efron's not happy with his jawline, I think the rest of our skies should potentially engage in a mass suicide, Okay, because if this guy is not happy with the way he looks, I don't want to get too hysterical on the mic, but there is no hope, lads. Okay, there is no hope. I mean, seriously, this guy is perfection. Okay? I think God made Zac Efron five foot four because if he was six two, it would just be out of hand, you know? And Zach Efron has come out and he said that what happened was he fell and hit a fountain in his home. And that actually checks out because when you're as rich as Zac Efron, you just got fountains fucking all over the place. You know what I mean? People like Zac Efron, he has. There's a fountain probably in the roof. You know what I mean? You get to a point where money gets to a gets to a certain level, where fountains. There, there's no rules surrounding fountains anymore. You can have a fountain sticking out from the wall. Three fountains hanging down from the roof. You can have a fountain under your fucking bed. Okay. So Zach Efron's hit a fountain in his home, which checks out, and apparently when he came to, there was blood everywhere, and he said his chin was like basically snapped in half. Okay? Now, I find that hard to believe. Why have we not heard about this earlier? Because apparently it was a big surgery, and he had all this recovery time, and that, that was why there was some swollen photos of him last year. Firstly, there should be a hotline or a website, you can call at any point, to get updated on Zach Efron's physical condition okay if this bloke stubs his toe i want to know about it the fact that this bloke apparently almost fucking ripped his own fucking face off tripping over in his own home i mean touch wood it doesn't happen again but i am calling bullshit on this story i think i think it's a cover story i think the the great man you know we're all human even zach is zach a better human than me yeah dude yeah, he fucking is. Okay? I joke on this podcast, but this is one time I'll get 100% completely serious. If we're in a situation where the aliens come and it's between me and Zach Efron, someone has to be sacrificed for the greater good. I'm already halfway onto the ship, okay? I'm I'm already bloody getting I'm up on the on the fucking on the flying saucer getting probed before they even finish the question. Okay, Zach Ephron is better than me. But he is still human, so possibly insecurity got to him. You know he's aging like everyone else. Um, I don't know what goes through the heads of particularly short men. I imagine it is a fucking nightmare. But I think he's gone for. I think he's got he's gone for a bit of a nip tuck type situation, chisel up the old jawline. Maybe the. I, I'm. I don't know. I honestly don't know what he could have been thinking because from where i was standing he was fucking perfect so i think what's happened is he's gone for a bit of a jaw you know readjustment you know shape it up i don't maybe it wasn't angular enough guys i'm honestly at a loss i don't know why he would have done this but i think then they've botched it okay because fuck me if i'm a plastic surgeon imagine being a plastic surgeon zac efron's asleep in front of you and, and you're supposed to improve this. I'm sorry, Does do I need to also fucking buy some paints and give the Mona Lisa a touch-up? What the fuck are we talking about here, people? So I think there's a facial surgery. I think it's gone wrong. I think Zac Efron's got greedy. I think he's flown too close to the sun. This is just what I'm thinking. And then I think he's come out with this cover story about the fountain to sort of, you know cover up the whole the, the the botching as it were and i gotta say he doesn't look too good too bad i should say you know it's he sort of got away with it he's still an absolute sort i'm not going to st- sit here and tell you he's not but he doesn't look as sort he looks you know you can tell he's had a bit of work done and i'd just like to say this can can somebody show me one man on the planet that has had plastic surgery done to their face and it looks good okay just one Show me one man who's had it done and it looks good. Okay? Because honestly, I'm not seeing it. And the fact that Zac Efron can't even get away with it should be a lesson to sixes everywhere. That this is just not on the cards yet for us blokes. Okay? You know, get on the fucking, get on the pills to save your hair. You know, do steroids. I'm, I'm happy for everyone to go in on doing some roids toning up for summer you know use some hair product dye your hair dye get your eyebrows done dye your eyebrows you know get your beard professionally trimmed even get calf implants okay but i'm telling you lads the facial surgeries are not there yet because it did if it didn't work for zach efron and you're just some six out of ten from the eastern suburbs of sydney it's not going to work for you okay Zach, what he's done is foolish, but it's also a warning to the rest of us that facial plastic surgery isn't there yet, okay? And until we have one bloke come out, in fact, here's the thing. I'll tell you how I can tell that facial surgery isn't there for men yet, because every time a bloke gets facial surgery and comes out for his first photos afterwards, within one millisecond of looking at him, you go, oh, he's had some weird surgery done. Okay, we'll know it's fucking on when like you hang out with a bloke for two months and you're best friends with him all of a sudden, you know, you're bonding with him and he goes, oh yeah, I've actually had a bit of a nip and tuck thing done on my jaw and cheek area or whatever they do. And then you go, holy fuck, dude, that looks great. That's when we'll know. But until then, lads, please, please, stay away from the facial surgeries. They're not there yet, okay? Now, last thing, The project for this week, we have Australian actress Millie Alcock. Now, Millie Alcock is in the new House of the Dragon Game of Thrones spin-off. She was in the first four or five episodes, I believe, and then her character has sort of run its race. She plays like a princess up until a certain age. Now, this is going to be an interesting project this week because I will candidly say I have not seen a single second of House of the Dragon. Okay. I canceled my binge subscription in February and I don't plan on ta- on getting it back. Um, so I haven't seen the show, but I've seen a lot of people when I was reading some articles about Millie, a lot of people tweeting about how good she is on the show. And really, who knows more about television than people who tweet about it? You know? So I've gone to the source and... People are saying that Millie Alcock has absolutely smashed this role, okay? And so, you know, go go and check out House of the Dragon. And before that, you know, the project is where we celebrate Australian talent, killing it here and abroad. And this is what I love to see. She was in an Australian-made television show with Tim Minchin called Upright, which is absolutely fantastic, okay? She was in season one of that. Phone stops ringing, then she auditions for House of Dragon, gets it, boom, she's off to the races, okay? So we love to see it. Now, have I seen Upright featuring Tim Minchin and Millie Alcock? I haven't seen that either, okay? So this is a blind project this week. I've not seen any of this woman's work, but I'm going off the assumption that it's fantastic just due to the absolute buzz on Twitter and the like, okay? So check out Millie. You know, get into House of Dragon and and Eric uh, Eric from Blue Water High, Ryan Core is also in House of Dragon. I mean, is this a fucking Game of Thrones spin-off or packed to the rafters at this point? Because there is some Aussie talent fucking kicking it in this HBO show. You love to see it. Okay. So check them out. Love to see Aussie actors killing it overseas. And here's the thing. And this is why I think it's so cool. Is because you see these Aussie actors, you know, the Hemsworths, Millie Alcock, Ryan Corr. Let me think of some others. Da-da-da, 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 Margot Robbie, etc. cetera, dude, okay, etc. cetera. But this is what I'm saying. If you kill, if all these people go overseas and fucking kill it, and they're amazing, and they're superstars, and it's all, it's all, they're all living La Vida Loca, kissing people on the lips in Beverly Hills. You know, a tasteful amount of tongue. Everyone's having a great time. They're great actors. They're great actresses. If they could do all of that, it just goes to show there's no reason why we can't make fantastic television and film here in this country. We just need to back our own projects a little bit more, you know, because it's clear we have the talent to do it. So great work, Millie Alcock. Another Another worthy entrant of the project and uh, just another Aussie. Fucking letting them know overseas, which is what it's all about. Anyway, that is the solo podcast for this week. Up next, we got a guest episode with Sydney comedian Freddie McManus. And if you like the guest episodes, let me know. Um, I'm probably just going to keep doing them both for a little bit and see how it goes. We also have the Homecoming East Coast Comedy Tour coming up this week and next week. Brisbane, Gold Coast, Port Macquarie, Newcastle, Sydney. All those tickets in my bio come along and also i'm doing my brisbane solo show but it's sold out so cheers for that and freddie mcmanus who is on this next episode or next part of the episode whatever you want to call it he has a show at the sydney fringe festival it's called freddie mcmanus is stoppable and it is on september 28 and 30 tickets for that are only 17 dollars which I think is fucking ridiculous. I'll be having a word to Freddie about that, but he is an absolutely phenomenal stand-up comedian, and you should go and check him out. Wednesday and Friday, September 28 and 30, at the Factory Theatre, Freddie McManus is stoppable. Only $17 a ticket. That's a fucking steal. Go check out some comedy. It's going to be unreal. And here's Freddie on the episode, and uh, it's an absolute banger. We talk about all sorts of stuff, and heaps of great yarns from our time coming up together in sydney so i hope you enjoy it dude all right legends the guest series of get around me i guess returns never left i miss my ex-girlfriend who cares today on the podcast we have one of my best mates fantastic sydney comedian freddie mcmanus Welcome back, my friend. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for having me, mate. What a pleasure. So, wow. Great to have you. You are the first ever get-around-me guest to do three appearances. That is unbelievable. I know. And I think the funniest thing is I think both of your first two appearances are no longer on the internet. (laughs) There was... Because I think you did episode like 6 and 11 or something.
1: You were pretty much just testing the equipment. In those yeah, 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 yeah. I was work- we were there <laughs> just to check if the mics were working. Yeah,
0: pretty much, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I think... Yeah, so all the first 50 episodes are no longer up because um because they're not good. Yes. Yep.
1: I remember... I was there for, yeah, yeah, for yeah, two yeah. of
0: them. How much responsibility do you take in the episodes you were on as far as like them not being good? Are you... Are I you take, willing to shoulder the blame or is that is that all on me?
1: I take the bulk of you, the responsibility on the basis of I knew what I was walking into. You yeah. know what I mean? You listen to my voice like I got a sort of broadcaster's cadence. I should be doing the heavy lifting in yep. those early days. Yeah. I knew you were struggling. I knew you were shaky on the mic. Yeah. And I didn't deliver. And so basically, this is the purpose of my appearance today is to apologize <laughs> and to congratulate you on how far
0: you've come. We did a
1: sound check before. When I tell you it was seamless, my God. Oh, my God. It's night
0: and day, mate. It's night and day. You, do you know what you can say? You can say the podcast sucks. You can say I'm not funny. You cannot say the production value has not gone up. It has. <laughs> just... Dude, I, I
1: I took the ferry to a slightly different location. Yep. Beautiful. Must be nice, you know.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Freddie has crossed the bridge yep. to appear on this podcast. Oh, yeah. So, the reason I asked you on the podcast is because you are doing your first hour-long stand-up show. Yes, sir. At the Sydney Fringe Festival, September 28 and 30, Freddie McManus is stoppable. Unreal. That's what it's called. That great is. title, by the way. Mate, you've been complimenting my my posters, my flyers. Mate, the, the the artwork's great. The title is great. Mate. I'm just getting all the compliments out of the way, so when I watch the show, I don't feel the need to, to be like, oh, it was good. Yeah, hey. I know. Also,
1: I've been, like, working in marketing for, like, seven years. Good to know those Adobe and design skills, finally. Um, Came through
0: strong. uh, Mate, the the poster looks great. Also, I'll I'll tell you what I love about your poster is (laughs) you... (laughs) You know what I'm going to say. And so, there's this guy, Alan Fang, who takes uh, photos at the comedy store. He takes phenomenal photos. And Freddie has just taken an Alan Fang photo and made it his poster, skipping the headshot fee completely. (laughs) Uh, outstanding. I don't think I even credited him. You, no credit. In- no, no. you did not pay for it. You did not credit him. And you've used it for his, for your whole poster.
1: I just thought, leading into the solo show, it's finally time to throw some weight around right here.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm all about it. No money down. Who gives a fuck? It's all good. But, mate, obviously, you're a, a pom by, by trade. Yes, mate. Now, the Queen's dead. Okay. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> (laughs) Can you imagine if I broke that news to you on the podcast? (laughs) Well, that's basically what happened. I want to say like... How did you find out? Dude, so
1: (laughs) I just got... I woke up to a bunch of messages like, have you seen the news? I'm like, are the trains not running? Like, just based on my life, you think about what stories people think would affect me deeply. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought it was some kind of public transport issue. I can't stress you enough. Like, I don't know... Well, I have been given off like this royalist vibe where I'm all about queen and country. But like I've lost family members in the last year and got less messages <laughs> than I did when this fucking old lady hit the bricks. Man, I, I just like I don't know what people were expecting. Like we've we've heard in and
0: out that she's been like sick for a while. Well, I want to know what they were pumping into her to keep her going the last couple of years. Dude,
1: I mean, God, it's like when you get all these angry men online being like, why won't Chris Hemsworth just come out and say it's steroids? I think you've even had that rant on this podcast. I
0: was about to say, that is such a personal attack. I had that exact rant on this podcast.
1: Right, so it's fucking morons like you who are, like, trying to peel the curtain back. It's kind of magic how, like, they kept the crown on this woman's head. I don't want to know how the card trick is done. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just, that's the thing that I would like sort of preserved.
0: Yeah. Also, like, she had COVID at 95 and just walked through it. Right. That is insane. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they were... She was on the Joe Rogan stuff to get through that, for sure. Yeah
1: he goes i threw everything at it
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> what did he say dude on? joe rogan talks about um talks about covid like it's a person who's trying to like
1: <laughs> he, he...
0: i stayed behind the jab <laughs> yeah, circled yeah, out yeah J- joe rogan personifies disease that's the funniest part he goes he goes it was me and covid locked in a room i threw everything at it you know <laughs> five
1: minutes to make life fair
0: dude it's so funny but um Alright, so I don't want to get into the, the Queen and her old age too much, but I want to ask you this, as a POM, because this is something, and you know, a, a lot of Australians feel this way, who gives a fuck about the Queen, why do we have a fucking Queen in 2022, who gives a shit, why are we still part of the Commonwealth, this sort of stuff, ra 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 ra. let's put that to the side. What I want to know is, explain to me the relationship between the English and the Queen, because like the English, you guys obviously love the Queen, and it's... Banter aside, like I I don't understand the how you guys relate to the Queen. Like at the moment, ro- as we're recording this, there is a twenty four hour line. Right. You have to stand in the line for twenty four hours to look at her coffin. And and the line is getting bigger by I've, the minute. I've
1: got someone holding my place in the line right now. Exactly.
0: I was like, I've got to do the pod. but dude, literally. So like, what would possess someone to stand in a line for twenty four hours? To, to look at her coffin like this is crazy like what w- how do the English perceive the queen I don't understand what's the relationship how does it work
1: so there's there's two sides here on the one hand you've got the people who as you say grown up with the queen they love it they're all about
0: it they want to lay their eyes
1: but but no on but, ex- but go into time. that
0: a bit more like what is it because Dude, we, we, we and you know what it is it's not I'm not even ripping on it I just don't understand it I because in not- Australia we just don't we just don't have that relationship with her. Right. Like, definitely young people don't. So, like, what? Like, how are they I, would, so... I mean, I wouldn't
1: say I do either, but you you do grow up, like, with, like, a cardboard plate with a Union Jack on it. Like, a couple of times a year being, like, day off school, let's fucking do this. Like, yeah. the Queen's waddling about. Yeah. Like, you gotta, you, you're kind of indoctrinated to be across it and be about it. Yeah. Um.
0: But, but- like, David... So, David Beckham was in this line for 24 hours. And If it were up to me, that's the next king of this of, oh of the country. I'll tell Dude, you what. I mean, don't even get me started. But like David Beckham said, that, that England was so lucky to have a leader like the Queen. Like, what did she-
1: And that's do? someone who's worn a captain's armband,
0: Dude, and he's actually led the country. has. <laughs> yes. Dude, what did she do? Like, is it just inherent? Like, it's just a national pride thing. Like, I'm a full-blooded Englishman. As an Englishman, we love the Queen. We fucking- That's our Queen. That's the English Queen. Like- Cause she didn't I don't even know what her voice sounds like. I don't think I've heard her speak. <laughs> she does do like a
1: well she did. Oh my it's still too soon, man. Yeah, it's still too it's raw too fresh. talking about in the present tense. Uh but the that speech at like Christmas, that her accent like changed gradually to sound more she tried to dumb it down a bit as She's she went. trying to sound but a bit more. It's just, more... you know, high pitched, very, very English. Like, as I say. So go yeah, go into this queen thing a bit. Explain it to me. She just she just kind of remained. It's a constant. So my mum's entire life the queen was the queen. Yeah. It's something about that where it's like longevity matters at a certain point. Yeah. Like the body of work, you yes. can do very little, but just hang <laughs> out. Like if someone was living in your house, like you'd never had a conversation with them, you didn't know what their voice sounded like, but the whole time you'd live there, they're down the hall. And they're al- fucking there. Also, after they, that, f- that- person dies, you feel a certain type of way yeah. about it. You're not- a, I'm, I'm not saying you're hopping in a queue with David Beckham, but you're like, you feel some type of way. Yeah. You're like, I wish I could have had him on the pod. Like- Oh, things like that flash before your eyes you have regrets but yeah. it's like there's i think there's the constant nature of it and the fact that it's like it's an insane thing to keep going of having the queen like have the same family just not seeming to contribute anything but just be there like this is important this matters at a certain yeah. point you buy into it because you've not been told anything else yeah see but that's- the important thing is that's a lot of the cue. that's half of it The other half are the people who hated her so much they want to check she's really dead. (laughs) Like, I will queue for as long as it takes to open that coffin up and stare into her cold, dead eyes and be like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, that's definitely the part of it as well.
0: Mate, I feel like it's just... Yeah, it's so interesting because it's like... I just find the idea of... I think with the internet and stuff, like, with celebrities and now they're doing fucking Instagram stories, here's my breakfast and that. Like, I feel like there's not as much like, allure around people. Like, the queen, now with the internet, we know the queen is... She was a normal person. You know what I mean? So, it's like, it seems so stupid to be like, this is the special person with her special hat. Right. She rules everything. And it's like... But it's like, she's just a person who's done nothing. Yeah. That's so bizarre. But at the same time, a lot of people... I saw a lot of articles being like, how could you fucking celebrate the queen? She's bloody a colonialist pig. And, like, what she's done to... You know minorities all over the world, rah rah rah, and you know, I, obviously, like what the what the British have done through colonialism is, it's like it's horrific. fucked, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> fucked. But I was, I wonder, like, how much is the Queen actually responsible for this? Like, is she in the war room, being like, all right, the fucking India's next, like, right, exactly, you know, it's, like, it's all, it's what, all. What is her, level. what is her role in the government? Is she just
1: like the head of state, just like the but, the face on the money? That's it.
0: But like, did she have any? fucking say or role in decision-making over the last 50 years.
1: No. The the whole thing of, like, the Prime Minister technically has to, like, run by when they go, um like, if they win the election, they have to go and see the Queen, and she's like, yeah, you can form a government in my name. So, technically, it would be within the Queen's power to be like, no, I don't want you to. But she would never exercise that authority. So, even the authority she has, if she, she would did, never exercise If she did, it would be, it. like, crazy. Then we'd move back, like, two centuries. Like, yeah. two centuries, we'd be fucking... Like, I'd be wearing, like, a fucking full suit of armor right now. Yeah. I'd be cutting your fucking head yeah. off with a cutlet, so be,
0: it'd be over. Dude, we'd be jousting, bro. <laughs> dude, 100%. <laughs> but, um, but what you said before where your mum, your like, the queen has always been the queen, I feel that way as well. Because, like, when I was born, you know, you fucking rock up, what's doing, Billy Darcy here, great to be here, what a time to be alive, etc. The queen is the fucking queen when I got here. So I'll go in on that. And the whole time I've been alive, 27 years, the queen was the queen. But now that Charles is the king and like I've lived my life with just Charles sort of in and out of the news and he's a bit of a clown and like, or, and you know, whatever, like he's not that much of a clown, but you know, there's been a few incidents where like, uh, like the thing where he was like, I'm going to fucking, I'm a tampon. I'm going to throw myself up your push to Camilla or whatever. Did you hear about this? He left. No, I'd, I'd like when to he was with, expand on it. When he what? was with Diana, he left, like, this filthy voicemail on Camilla's phone. And, like, and, you know, mate, I mean, live and let be. I don't... Mate, know. but what,
1: what a man leaves after the beep is his own
0: business. I was about to say, <laughs> and, and as it should be, as it should be. But I'm just saying stuff like that, like, reveals that he's human. Like, there's been instances but- of him making mistakes and, like, doing stupid stuff in the public. Whereas the Queen, she had that aura. But this is this
1: is my point is I don't think the Royal Family can survive a rebrand. Of like we were all I don't all think just, so
0: either. We were
1: all just fucking okay I've I have to say I've never really been invested in the Royal Family my entire life even though it's been around me. But like ne- especially now like I'm not changing the words to the anthem and no one can tell yeah, me otherwise. I- like I've learned the words as they are. Yep. Like, imagine if they they remixed Advanced Australian Farrow. It's like, I simply don't care.
0: dude. I'm sticking with what I know. It's the number, classics, they're old standards. It's number one for a reason, dude, brother. Mate, don't but, be chopping that but shit up. I agree. I don't think they can survive a rebrand because, yeah, Charles, like, there's these instances of him, like, being human. And I think it's like, he doesn't have, like, that kingly thing. Like, the queen, she had that aura. She was the queen, you know? And she was, like, she was, like... She had been the queen where most of the people on the planet today were born. Right. And she was the queen. So, she had that aura. Whereas Charles, he doesn't... Like, it's like, oh, this guy's king now. Like, I find it so silly how this guy was not king a week ago. And now it's like they click their fingers. Oh, this is the special guy now. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> Dude, it,
1: it's... It, it, I reckon when they change the money, like, it'll be hard for people to keep a straight face. You know what I mean? That'd be hilarious. Because, yeah, that's what because I'm saying. He's, He's, so when they uh, with the queen, like she was, she became queen when she was very young. So it's like a young, good photo of her, or you know, picture. Also of her young Lizzie,
0: dude, young Lizzie. I'm I'm not mad at it, dude. Hey, old Lizzie, I'm still taking dude, it some thought. Old, you know, old, old Lizzie, out of respect, I kiss her on the lips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, no, for the Commonwealth. No, no tongue. I keep just it, classy. Look at it For the benefit of the
1: listener, Bill's eyes just glazed over. <laughs>
0: No, no tongue, but I'm saying for the Commonwealth, I would kiss her on the lips. Correct. Out of respect.
1: You're one of, and that's why you're one of her finest soldiers. Exactly. Um, but Charles, you're saying not even a handshake?
0: No, but I just think like I'd just walk past Charles and if he said hi to me, then, you know, I'm polite. Yeah. But it's just like he's got no aura. I know he's a normal guy. And I, I, re- I reject the premise that someone can be normal and then, and then because like, and then the next day they're special. And now he's got the special hat on and he's doing the special stuff. And it's like Prince Andrew's there at the fucking funeral. That's the funeral, And it's I'm like, like th- dude, Prince Andrew's milling around. It's like, sweet. So we got a legitimate pedophile in the room. Like, you know what I mean? It's- that was There was an
1: amazing graphic where they showed this is now the line of succession. Yeah. How it goes. So it's Charles, his son William, his kids, Harry, all that stuff. And it was a top nine yeah. ladder of succession. And Andrew's nine. Yeah. And I saw so many people repost it being like... Let's cap it at eight. Yeah. In what world? It's an odd number. <laughs> in what world <laughs> oh. are we going like, yeah, but let's let's keep it between eight and ten, you know, just in case a bunch of these children die. Oh
0: my god.
1: Let's let's make the man who probably killed them the king.
0: Dead set. Also, I don't want to speak out of school, but Andrew looks like a pedophile.
1: It's it's an unfortunate affliction, but I feel like that's fair to say yeah. when he also is one.
0: Yes. And it's, it's not something
1: you want to throw around when things haven't been.
0: Yeah, know. and just this sort of stuff, like just the elitism of it. I do, I do, just reject the premise. But um, <laughs> <of> paedophilia. <laughs> no, no, just of the royals oh, in general. Like, I just reject. I just reject the idea of a special family. Okay, I reject got you. the idea that they are anything more than I am. Race. Right. If anything, i I go in on the idea that I'm much better than them.
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah. You to one man and that man's name is Jamie Foxx.
0: Yeah, I was about to say. Dude, if Jamie Foxx gets the crown... Oh, my God. How long's the line for that one, okay? Because I'll fucking line up for three days to shoot Jamie Foxx a wave. Oh, mate, fuck yeah. <laughs> just
1: for just to stand at the corner of one of those house parties.
0: Oh, fuck it, Oath, dude. But, dude, speaking of kings, so I messaged you last night because um, I did a gig. I was hosting a couple of shows... <laughs> In King's Cross The Golden Mine Oh
1: god That's one of the smoother transitions In podcasting isn't it Mate me?
0: welcome to Get Around Me brother Speaking uh, of kings Speaking of kings My god Am I talking about myself I'm what? in awe no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah, nah, <nah>. But uh, <laughs> Alright I fucking hate these guest episodes But uh, <laughs> <laughs> This never happens when it's just me Okay See you at 100
1: apps, dude
0: Yeah I know <laughs> Anyway Alright um And that's
1: for That's for deleting episode 6 yeah. and 13 <laughs>
0: Man, I'm going to fucking bury this one as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be on the podcast. You're going to have like seven uh, podcast appearances and not one of them will be live.
1: <laughs> They'll make a podcast uh, like called The Lost Seven. Yeah. And it's like a true crime.
0: <laughs> dude, Frederick like- John
1: McManus took the ferry seven times. Yeah, you'll have to like- download- There is no audio evidence of this.
0: You'll have to download the Freddy episodes off like Utorrent or Pirate Bay. <laughs> <laughs> um, They'll lock you up for that shit. Dude, man. dead set. Uh <laughs> It's like an Andrew Tate type situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't have Freddie on, you get deplatformed. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So, anyway, so I was in King's Cross and uh, this guy came up to me in the break. And, you know, it's kind of ripping. And I was hosting, so bit riffing and raffing and this sort of stuff. And uh, he came up to me and he said something that's pretty interesting. He said, mate, I saw you years ago at Starbar, which was where me and Freddie started doing comedy together. And. He, star bar was literally hilarious and this i'm gonna guy,
1: say that name is ironic like yeah, looking back like star stars bar. were not made in this yeah bar.
0: we were not stars and star bar was like it was the, maybe the worst room in town but we would work it all the fucking time and it was nice of him he said mate you were good back then but you're much better now like hundred oh, percent also it, it was his way of saying last time i saw you you sucked and you <laughs> <laughs> and I, I read between the lines i knew what he meant and um but, mate, fuck. So, Starbar was hilarious. So, Starbar, Starbar, the guy who ran it was this guy, Dante. Like, African-American, like, Vegas promoter style. He dressed like a 1970s pimp. Like, purple blazer, purple suit, fedora, the whole thing. And it was, like, $35 a ticket and he had these crazy rules. Like, the show would start at 7.45. You had to be there at 7 for the pre-show meeting. Right. And at the time, I remember when I first started being like, oh, yeah, the pre-show meeting. Now, seven years later in stand-up comedy, there is not a single show I've been on since that has had a pre-show meeting. (laughs) And we would have to sit through there and he would like read off palm cards and he'd be like, you'll get a light at seven minutes. You get off at eight and if you went like a second past eight minutes he would play you off he would off. play you off yeah he would just play the music
1: i I've, I've never had to jump through so many hoops to perform to fives of people like, oh my god that was the <laughs> other thing the, that's the thing like you think the light at the end of the tunnel would be bright enough to you know get you through that tunnel Dude, but it you, was like you a go little... through and it's like a, it's like a mirage like you're in the desert and you see like a pool of water but it was never there. Oh,
0: You just crawled through like miles of sand. Dude, yeah. Sometimes there'd be like seven people there in this like 80s. And they also theater. had to
1: go to the pre-show meeting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the audience was like, so when someone stops talking, you laugh. If you loved while someone's talking, I'll play you off.
0: Dude, I remember one time- I'll play
1: Boom Shake the Room until you get yeah. the fuck out of my room.
0: Yeah, you'd be like, if you went over time, you'd just be halfway through a sentence and you'd hear like, who let the dogs <laughs> out? Who, who, who? Dude, I remember one time- Dude, I, I've never, to the point where- if i hear that
1: song now i'm crestfallen (laughs) like my relationship to that song remains the same
0: dude i remember one time i swear (laughs) to god this is 100 true i finish up my set i get the light i finish up my last joke i put the mic in the stand i say guys that's my time thank you so much my name is (laughs) who let the dogs out who 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 let the, and like, like he didn't even let me say, like, I was, I said, guys, that's my time. Thank you so much. My name is, I was gonna say, my name is Billy Darcy. Enjoy the rest of the show. I got to my name is, and he played me off. He fucking played me off as I was saying goodbye. Like he, the guy was just a fuck. He was hit with with what I can only
1: describe as a homicidal sense of calm. Dude. Like there was, he felt no type of way. That about was it.
0: the funniest thing was he would sit side of stage at the sound desk, and then you, you, I looked at him, and he looked at me like. Just like great white shark eyes, <laughs> yeah. like no empathy whatsoever. Dude, my first ever paying gig was in Cronulla for Dante. And I did eight minutes and I I went last or like second last. And I remember thinking, I got paid like 50 bucks, maybe 80 bucks. I remember thinking, oh, this is so cool. I'm going last. Like yes. I must be like a gun or something. It was like my fourth, fifth gig, sixth gig or something. Like, and I remember thinking, fuck, I'm like going last. I must be fucking unreal. I'm like, I must be so talented that I'm, like, closing the show in my, like, fifth gig mate. or, like, tenth gig. I must be some sort of a gun. And then I realised after the show, well, I also I, I ate shit because I, <laughs> I I had to do eight minutes and um, I only had, like, four minutes. Right. And so I wrote... Didn't a, you just
1: do the four minutes twice?
0: No, well, I wrote... Um, the second four minutes I wrote some notes on my hand because I... And, uh, guys, that wasn't in the pre-show, mate. Let's yeah. just
1: say you broke several rules yeah. that day.
0: Yeah, and... Um, And I realized after the show, the reason I went last is because all the good comedians wanted to get home earlier (laughs) because we're in Cronulla. So that's why. And they were like, oh, when do you want to go? And I was like, I don't care. If anything, I wanted to go last. Like this is back when, this is how early I was. This is back when I probably had like five beers before I went on stage. Like I'm still, I'm in the phase where I'm like, I need to have like a couple of beers to go up. Mm -hmm. Like I'm new, new. And and then I went up and I wrote some things on my hand and I kind of bombed. But it was kind of like a charming bomb because I was like fucking 20 and looked like I was about 12. Right. And uh, anyway, and I wrote some stuff in my hand and I checked it. And uh, anyway, Dante comes up to me afterwards. He gives me an envelope with 50 bucks and he goes, here's your money. You don't deserve it. You're kidding. No. And he goes, you don't deserve it. That was so unprofessional what you did up there. Don't ever fucking write on your hand again. And he then, wouldn't have sworn because... He's, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Don't ever write on your hand again.
1: But definitely the subtext was, don't ever fucking do yeah, that shit yeah. again.
0: And, um, and dude, I was so rattled because this was the only room I was working. And this is back before the open mic scene. There was only two open mics.
1: And you haven't headlined in Cronella since. Yeah, no, I and, think that speaks volumes.
0: But, dude, I remember... um, And he said, yeah, you don't deserve it. And That's then, insane. And, I, dude, I was so rattled. And he was like, you're so unprofessional. I remember thinking... What do you mean, unprofessional? I go, it's like my fucking fourth gig. Of course, I'm unprofessional. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. what like what the hell? I was so rattled. And I remember I got I got offered meth on the way home by these blokes in the crowd. Also in
1: an envelope. <laughs>
0: yeah, also in an envelope. And they also said I didn't deserve that either.
1: <laughs> you are so
0: unprofessional. It's Dude, unreal. These guys are like, do you want to do, um, not meth, sorry, crack. Yeah. They're like, do you want to smoke crack? These, And they were like 20. And I was 20. But I remember thinking, no. Yeah, people no, have I different don't. paths to twenty-eight, and then I'm on the fucking train back from Cronulla. It has got sprayed by Dante. Offered crack,
1: and public transport hits different after
0: <laughs> oh, after dude. bombing for eight minutes. In I Cronulla. didn't know what was going on, dude. I was like, "How the fuck have I ended up in this situation?" Yeah, and uh, and then I got banned for three months, and then that was the funniest part about Dante. But I feel like
1: you're skating over that like it's like a ah, oh, you know, and then I got banned for three months. Again, another thing I've yet to encounter from any like promoter oh, or any yeah. kind of line of gigs you do is you'd get suspensions like you failed a <laughs> drugs test. It was Like, like I you got just... Lance Armstronged out of there where yeah. people were like, you don't just dis- like, you were losing sponsors. Dude, <laughs> like you... three months ban. And as you say, it's the only gigs you have. So if you were gig... unprofessional before the ban, you'd be even worse after the ban because you haven't had a
0: chance to gig. Dude, it was so funny. I got banned so much. Pe- people would say, oh, oh, you don't work Dante's rooms anymore like three or four years ago. I'd be like, like, oh Bill, are you like you're like doing too well? Like, is your career like you've moved on yeah. from Dante's gigs? And I'd be like, No, I've just been banned so much. Like Do you remember when they I'm sh- still uh, serving like three suspensions? In,
1: in Game of Thrones where they strip him down naked and make him walk through the town square while I like s- throw shit at them and scream shame. Dude. Like if, you were doing that twice a
0: year. <laughs> dude, if you dropped out of a gig and like he would book in like four month increments. Yes. So like it'd be January and he'd be booking you for fucking April for an unpaid spot. And then if you message him in February saying, Hey, I've actually been offered a paid gig or you know I've got something on like I can't get out of it. Can right. I please drop out of this unpaid 10 minute spot three months from now? And he would say, I remember one time I got offered a comedy store run. And this is my first comedy store run or second. Big deal. And I had an unpaid Dante weekend three months from now. I said mate I've been and I even laid it on thick I said I said I've been offered a comedy store run. It it's paid and um I even laid it on I was like I really need the money. And uh, it's a big opportunity. And he said, no worries. I totally understand, Billy. He said, I'm going to cancel the rest of your spots for the next three months. So you can take (laughs) some time to work out where your priorities are. That's how petty he was.
1: <laughs> the beauty of it is I probably profit I probably got an email seconds later saying, Hey Freddie, yeah. few gigs opened up. where's your availability at? And I would have known what's happened. Oh, the old or oh, the old Darcy ban. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh oh we were eating good in the McManus household yeah. during those three months. I'll and tell you was, what.
0: It was brutal as well because when you started. Hey mate, out-
1: mate, envelopes. I was drowning in envelopes. Yeah. That three month period.
0: Dude. And it was like, mate, you'd lose like you'd You'd get banned for three months and you'd lose like you'd lose like 12 spots over the three months. And you're like, dude, that was 12 of the 14 spots I've got booked for the next three months. Like, it was like, it was fucking rattling at the time. I remember one time I rocked up for the pre-show meeting at 7.02 <laughs> and you're supposed to be there at 7. And uh, you got like uh, one free drink voucher. And after the pre-show meeting, like I ran in, like I would routine, like you'd be running down the street because like it was such a big deal to, you had to be there on time. I remember- I get there at seven oh two. He's like just about to start the meeting. He goes, Oh, all good Billy, sit down. And the meeting was always the same. Like it was like, do six minutes like six minutes lights, do seven, get off stage. Like he would tell you the lineup as if like yeah. y- you can't just fucking be told that. Like it was just a very uh, an exercise in power. Yeah. And I remember afterwards he's handing out the drink vouchers. I go, Oh, cheers, Dante, uh and he goes he goes, What are you doing? I go, Oh mate, come on, give us a drink voucher. And he goes, <laughs> He goes, you were late for the pre-show meeting. And I go, oh, yeah, come on. A couple of minutes anyway. Easy come, easy go. And keep in mind, the spot is unpaid. My This drink voucher is my pay. And he goes, I go, all right, well, come on then. And he goes, he goes, you were late. And he was serious. Oh,
1: 100%. And he did th- This is the worst part, and this is what I hope translates over the course of this conversation is when you said... Pre-show meeting was at seven. I show up at seven o two. I got chills down my spine, dude, because I knew what was coming, dude. And he literally- I was like, "There's a little piece of paper that had your name on it. It no longer
0: does." Yeah, and like this is the period as well. Like this is towards the end where I'm, I'm, I'm off like four bands. Like I'm on my last. You were legs. the you
1: were the bad boy star. Also, boy. He came in leather jacket.
0: Yeah, and then like, uh, so I'm like, I go, "Are you serious?" I go, "You're not going to give me right. a drink voucher?" And he goes, "He goes, shows pre-meetings at seven. You miss the meeting. Drink vouchers are for comedians who rock up on time. And I go, what the fuck? I, I just realized, like, I watched The Last Dance and, like, when
1: it's <laughs> Michael Jordan, like, it's yeah. been like, I never asked them to do shit that I wasn't willing to do. Yeah. And all that stuff. And then you see him holding the six championships and you're like, okay, fair play, Mike. You know, you did what you needed to do. When it comes to this shit, it just shows how that behavior just does not translate to semi-professional slash amateur comedy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like it's it's absolutely unbelievable. And then sometimes you'd show up booked for a gig, and realize that you weren't booked for a gig. You were um, forced to enter a competition <laughs> where oh you would have to. God, be, you the, were like
0: pitted against other comedians. The, and you had no idea until you showed the up. The comedy court. He would he would dress up. Yeah, explain would, the the comedy court. The comedy court. So it was a competition. It was.
1: A, I mean, we're all familiar with how a courtroom sort of operates. We watched on TV how it looks. Imagine an exact replica of that. Exact. <laughs> exact. But instead of deciding whether or not someone's a murderer, it's deciding whether or not someone can make you chuckle. For- Picture
0: a 45-year-old African-American man in a judge's gown and wig. That I
1: maintain to this day was real. Like, yeah. it was from an actual deceased judge.
0: And he would go up there dressed as a judge. That was the other thing. Dante would often do stand-up at the shows. And he was he's such like an 80s hack. It was crazy. Like
1: he was talking about that uh, Baz Luhrmann film Australia that came out, I think, in like 2006. Yeah, like what, a decade later. What
0: are some of Dante's jokes? He would he would love it. Like if someone came in late, he's like, could I get you anything, sir? Maybe a watch." <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I'll be honest, I was still laughing. I gotta say, did well in the room. <laughs> dude, the, dude, the funniest thing was when someone walked in late and he was hosting. You would just see he couldn't even fucking keep his smile to himself. He's like, "I'm about to deliver this absolute zinger."
1: Dude, it's like it's like uh, Robbie Williams with the first few chords of Angels pump up. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, this this writes itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about it. Yeah, in the home strike, money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> also, the funniest thing was his big claim to fame was um, like he hung out with Bill Cosby a few times in <laughs> Vegas. So that has aged terribly. This
1: is that that's horrific. I will also say uh, one of the my favorite like Dante stories of like his connection in comedy or his connections. So, uh. Dante ran a comedy course for oh, people who yeah. want to start, uh, and when I was similar level of experience to you, like tens of gigs in, um, he thought that I was like a comedian from the UK who'd come to Australia, and so he was like, you're going to be like our international instructor on the comedy you course. You ran the
0: course, I forgot about this. Dude,
1: so like 2pm on a Saturday, you get the train into like Starbucks. it's so bleak. And then oh. a bunch of people, like, twice my age. Like, I was 21 at the time. Yeah. It's a bunch of people who literally want to get into stand-up comedy, but they have a family, and so what they do is, like, Google how to get into stand-up comedy, and his SEO, Beyond Reproach. you got to say, Mate, the guy he a- was ahead of the game in that regard. Like, this guy had Google in his back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> dude, like, Bing, Ask Jeeves, he had a monopoly over yeah, the entire search all, engine dude, game. He
0: was all over Bing. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was, it was, no one came close to him on Bing.
1: <laughs> it was great. And so, you'd show up and, like... The first week, he would run the lesson and he wanted the instructor in the back to like kind of watch this clinic on how it's done. Yeah. And you bring that energy into the second week. So I just sit in the back of the room. He would have old like Johnny Carson Tonight Show sets, bring down a pr- tr- projector screen and you'd watch like Roseanne Barr in 1979. Yeah. Do her set. And he'd literally like point to a lady and be like, you're a mother of two? Be like that. Yeah. Do that. And so that's like the main class. But like he ends it by going, this is like his big story of being like, this is why you're here. This is who you're hanging with today. He goes, uh, I was starting out Vegas kids, you know. So like the bright lights, I had him early. Uh, I remember I just ply my trade, a young comedian, teenager, you know, working the rooms in Vegas. Uh, and I had my, my boy and my buddy. We would both do sets together. And one time uh, we got one after another. And then this big hotshot producer comes up to both of us after the set. And uh, he points at me and goes, you have incredible stage presence.
0: I, rem- I remember this, Yep.
1: If you had his material, pointing at my friend, if, if, with your stage presence, you'd be unstoppable. You'd be incredible. Then he points to my friend and goes, you got great material. If you had his stage presence, you'd be unbelievable. You'd be incredible. Then he goes, and that other guy was Dave Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking of google uh, the quickest google search you'll ever do (laughs) make you seem like dave chappelle never went to las vegas i'm still not sure if he's been to this day definitely didn't grow up there yeah like the fact that this is such an easily discoverable lie and he was shopping it around and when i tell you like gasps in the room people
0: were like oh shit i remember yeah yeah yeah. the other
1: beautiful thing about that story like if you've just even if you've never done comedy before like the logic being like that story is hugely insulting to Dante where it's like you're confident up there but there is no substance whatsoever yeah I know <laughs> you are shit well the but at thing least was, like you go up with a smile and you've got a lot of personality it's like you would never tell that story well,
0: well the funniest thing was about that story is that the producer said your, your material is no good and the story is like 30 years old and the funniest thing was his material still sucks he was still doing the same. thing. So it's bit. like if the producer came in today, he'd say the same thing, mate. So uh, I,
1: I think uh, actually the longer version of that story he goes. But that watch bit, that's pretty good. Yeah, Keep yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, also the funniest thing about that story is it's a complete lie. Of <laughs> I, there's so many bits about it are like just
1: horrific. But, he yeah. would
0: always throw that shit in. He's like, he's like, I used to run laps with Bill Cosby at the Mirage, like, and it's like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, dude.
1: Didn't he meet Muhammad Ali? I think he had. Yeah. He had all kinds of. There, things.
0: Any black celebrity, he was like, he was boys with.
1: Dude, unbelievable! But um, you know, an icon. And yeah, still, still doing it. That's the thing. I, again, you know, you know how the story ends. Ben and I banned enough times to the point where he's just not picking up our
0: calls anymore. Yeah, you just get you don't. Some people, God bless them move on. From, so Dante's like sort of bottom of the fucking rung as far as the scene. You know, I I love the scene. Like the scene, the the comedy scene is like its own organism, and you sort of make your way through it, and you fucking Dante's right at the bottom. But then, like... Most- but it's a beautiful rite of passage.
1: You can recognise that thousand-yard stare... Oh, yeah. ...of someone who's done the star bar rounds in anyone. Dude. Like, 100- I can I can be hundreds of yards away, but I'll spot it. Dude. I'll be like, you've,
0: you've got played off... Oh, 100 ...after doing
1: seven minutes and one second on a Friday night...
0: Yeah, dude. ...near Town Hall Station. I yeah, can tell. A 100%. And, uh... But, yeah, some people, you either... It's like, uh... It's like you either you either fucking die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. And that's how you leave. You either you either move on gracefully from Dante's gigs. Yes.
1: Or you're at a pre-show meeting in 2019. Yeah, <laughs> like- yeah.
0: Or, or you either move on like a gentleman and do better rooms or you get banned to the point where you just don't work that room anymore. That's what happened to me. I just, like, I was getting banned. Like, I would be banned for three months. I would come back for one gig and get banned for, like, another four months. And then it was just to the point where I was like, I just got banned like three times in a row and I was like, I haven't done a gig. That's like for meeting Dante. up with your parole
1: officer, like after three months. And I like
0: And it just got to the point where I was like, Oh, oh, I guess I'm too good for Starbar now or I've moved on. And then I was like, I don't think I have. I think like I would do the gigs if I could, but I just keep getting fucking banned. <laughs> like Oh man. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Starbar's behind us. The future is bright. Uh mate, so Freddie, one of you're one of my best mates, obviously, but Two things you and me love cricket and UFC, and I'd like to touch on both of them. Right. Because uh, previous guests, I haven't had anyone who's sort of into cricket. Uh, so, mate, England mate. have been playing some cricket over in England at the moment. They've actually been doing pretty fucking well. Right. What's going on over there, mate? This is
1: unbelievable. Like, I've been, I was, I grew up, obviously, it's a very sad introduction <laughs> to the sport. Like, I grew up in the era where uh, England cricketers could best be described as like afraid
0: yes you grew up in the beta male andy caddick era <laughs> my god like darren goff like showed just a little
1: bit of character and darren, we almost fainted
0: dude darren goff was the la- was the only pom for about 20 years to just go fuck these cunts
1: 100 percent, like that hat trick in sydney and oh then, and then like that that was the thing of like it was the it was the toe in the water, and then Andrew Flintoff like just did a bomb in the pool. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But Goffy, know? people forget like Goffy was the guy to dip, also, dip his toe in the water. There was actually, having like, something about late
0: nineties, early two thousands, and I am sort of talking out of my ass a little bit because I was obviously fucking three in nineteen ninety eight. But there was a point where like England, England cricket just got so. Beaten down by Australia, they were the worst
1: Test team in the world in yeah.
0: like '98. Yeah, they were the worst team in the world, but also they were. They, it was like you said, they were scared of Australia. Dude,
1: Glenn and, McGraw would w- see Michael Atherton and like laugh,
0: like yeah. couldn't hold it together. Dude, and like, and Flintoff, Michael Vaughan as well, unbelievable. Take a lot of the credit, Michael My Vaughan. Clave, dude, Michael Vaughan. I could watch his highlights all day.
1: When he won the um what is it, the MVP like player of the series when they lost four one. Oh. And even then the the coaches were like, Yeah, fair play to Vaughn, though. Dude scored like three hundreds. Dude, what a And he mo- would get like he wouldn't get hundred, he'd get like one hundred and eighty nine like. Also, does
0: he get the credit for the runs he got against Shane Warren in Warney's prime? Yeah.
1: It's it's unbelievable. Like the guy's a fucking freak. And that was the thing, like the, the, the scary thing about Warren, which is like to like this year was that was crazy i had no idea like i you grow up like hating someone or being like afraid of someone basically like but dude like that hit me like a truck because oh. there was something like there was an aura around dude. like the way he was i'm still went.
0: not i'm still not even that cool with it to be honest where it was like he would he would like
1: you know like in basketball they do this where they go like uh this guy's gonna go off and get 40 points let him get his 40. We're going to shut down everyone else. Like,
0: yeah. Like,
1: let him get his 40. Shane Warne would do that with, like... So, Michael Vaughn's getting runs in the series. He's informed. He's like, I just need to get the others. I just need 10 wickets. I don't yeah. need you. And, like, the the way of, like, they would just yeah go, cut through, like, knife through butter. Easy work. So, that's the point of origin. 2005. Never forget it.
0: Unbelievable. But Michael Vaughn was the first person to go, like, fuck these cunts. We're just going to give it to him. Right. And he was like, none of this fucking... We're going to banter around and, oh, Warney and, and oh, there's Ricky Ponting. The- nah, fuck it. We're not talking to him. Right. We're not looking at him. Cut, cheap, and cut, Ponting's cheating. No one checks the CV's okay. Yeah. Dude, that was, I remember watching that and this is actually, mate, I don't know if this is like embarrassing or just whatever, but I remember like as a kid being like so upset mm. watching that first Ashes test because that was the first time in my life I'd ever seen Australia start to lose. Yeah. I and remember- they did
1: they did of course McGraw like tore us up at Lord, like they ended up winning that. Well Lords was great,
0: but dude, that first day at Lord's, yeah, um, when Australia went out there, I remember Matthew Hayden in all sorts. I remember Ponting getting fucking pinned up. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is going on?
1: Matthew Hoggard had Matthew Hayden's number, like of all the like you talk about like bets you'd place now. Like, I don't know what the line is on Matthew Hoggard's. Getting Matthew Hayden out like seven times in a series, but you'd be a multimillionaire if you put like ten bucks on that,
0: dude. Well, that was like that was the first time some of these guys became touchable. Like Justin Langer barely held on to his career. Yeah, by the end of that series,
1: and he was your best. Bet. Like he he had the highest average of the whole series. Yeah, fucking and- Damian Martin, remember that? Jesus Christ! Uh, that,
0: yeah, he 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 lost. He got Simon dropped.
1: Jones with a reverse swing. I mean, it was
0: like, over, oh. dude. Yeah, it was crazy, but um. But yeah, the thing with England that I kind of resent is like you guys always do well at home against like sort of not less than teams but like you know it's like oh England will like towel up fucking New Zealand and the West Indies and then and then when you come over here or like you go to South Africa and stuff it's yep. like it's it's the same with New Zealand New Zealand kill it at home yeah. and then like New Zealand barely turned up to the last series it's fucking embarrassing. And uh but but England mate, you guys are kind of on a tear. So it's one of those weird things of, like, they're basically playing this brand
1: of cricket where, like, Brendan McCullum's the coach now. I love Brendan McCullum. England have never had a coach who has his feet up on the balcony, like, while England are batting. Like, this is an energy we are not familiar with. Like, he's come in, like, I'm pretty sure, like, Joe Root still doesn't understand, like, that level of cool and, like, (laughs) that just that brand of being a person, like, is alien to Joe Root. And I think he's still rattled by it. But he kind of, Kind of likes it.
0: You've never had a coach who's had more than 10 career roots. <laughs> Ari, Ari Duncan. You told me Burnley. Duncan Fletcher wasn't Duncan Fletcher. it about? Mate, that, Mate in
1: Zimbabwe, that guy has a reputation. Mate, if, know.
0: That, if that fat fuck has got more than four <laughs> roots, I'll eat my hat. I'll buy a really nice oh, hat and boy. I'll fucking eat it. That fucking cuts deep. But but I'll tell you what I love about Brett McCullen is he's just like, he came in and he just said, we're just gonna fucking mm. give it to everyone and I don't give a shit. Dude,
1: and the there is no that's the thing. It's like it's like a toxic relationship where it's like the sex is incredible, but this cannot last. Like it's not sustainable. Well like we're we're getting 180 in like 20 overs, and then we're just bowling the other team out for 140. And, and here's then the winning thing. the test and being like, there is
0: no like longevity. And here's the all. thing: England, you fucking you always do this with your medium paces. Ollie Robinson's bowling fucking backwards. <laughs> He's bowling backwards. And that's all good when it's fucking overcast and the pitch is muddy and you've the shades of green in the deck. You've never even seen greens right. this dark and it's fucking decking around and it's all heaps fun and we're nicking blokes off. But when you come and play on a fucking road at Adelaide Oval yeah. and Steve Smith is 140, not out. Right. And he's and absolutely- Ollie Robinson's
1: doughy frame yeah. comes trundling down.
0: And Ollie Robinson's got fucking heat stroke and it's 27 <laughs> Dude, degrees. This, this is
1: the, the my favorite thing about because I I completely buy into this. I do not buy into any hype around Ollie Robinson whatsoever. <laughs> but this is an amazing <laughs> when story. When the going of-
0: gets tough, Ollie Robinson goes home. Dude, he is a
1: snail shell will appear on his back and he will crawl inside it. <laughs> This I, when I tell you this is one of my favorite stories to like come out of. It's great when you're like an adult following professional sports and you realize things about like looking after your body like as you get older. <laughs> that like as a kid it just didn't occur to you, right? Yeah. Like athletes are athletes. It is what it is. Ollie Robertson, at 26 years old plays first class cricket since he was 18. So that's eight years. I don't care who you are. If you're playing first class cricket, the end goal is playing for the national team. Is to play Test cricket for your country. Of course. Regardless of who you are. Ollie Robertson, after eight years, gets a call up to the test team, plays a few test matches and realizes I underestimated the level of conditioning I would need to be able to bowl over the course of a test match. It's like, (laughs) Ollie, what on earth were you thinking it was going to happen? Literally, people are coming out being like, this is wild to me that the best we have are people who are like, oh, test cricket's pretty tough, eh? Like, oh, I might have to bowl ten overs on the bounce,
0: dude, o- in a row, dude. Also, Ollie Robinson is twenty-six, cramping up, out of shape. Meanwhile, fucking Jimmy Anderson is forty-one down the other end, pumping it out, swinging it both ways. Best fucking hair you've ever seen. Jimmy
1: Anderson's in the queue with David Beckham and like belongs. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like he's in incredible shape, and and broady's doing okay too. I- I'm a huge like the longevity fan. of those balls, but Ollie Robinson comes back for this summer, just coming. And goes, guys. Australia taught me some lessons, and it's like, yeah, you got your fucking ass handed to you, yeah. you doughy cunt. Yeah,
0: I, love, I love the idea that he gets to test cricket and goes, oh, I suppose I should maybe get fit. Unbelievable. Like, and and
1: he's one of those people. I resent it when you can see it on him. Like, I spot like the shadow of a second chin with him. Like yeah. some guys, when it's like you get it with like fighting all the time. Where it's like, I came into that out of shape, and I'm like, respectfully. Looking at your body, I did not sense you were out of shape at all. Like you yeah. still look in shape, but there's a difference between being like conditioned to really go and like just looking uh, fit. Ollie Robinson did not look fit. Right? Also,
0: like there were times in the Ashes where he was bowling sub 120, mm. sub 120. Do- but you bowl on 115 to me, if, and it's a decent deck in Sydney. If I'm playing a, a fucking doughy. Ollie Robinson on a flat deck in Australia. Right. I no bans could fucking get some runs against that cunt. Right. If he get uh, mate, and, you, and you're coming down the track, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm you're fucking, getting your steps in. I'm I'm marking centre a metre outside my crease, and if that doughy cunt gets on my pads, <laughs> he's gonna pay the price. Okay, and then if you overcorrected, give me some width. Oh no, you've paid again. Yeah. Okay, mate, that it's just ridiculous. And how did he even get? Like, did he not once have to do a beep test in his county cricket career?
1: This is the thing.
0: How did he get away with it for so long?
1: Like, what my only theory is long strides with the beep test thing of like, dude's tall and he's kind of going through the motions while you know the little Johnny Johnny Bearstow, bless him. That guy also not great to look at from a, you know, athletic physical standpoint. But you know, Johnny's given it everything at the beach. test. he's doing short little punchy strides, he's pushing as hard yeah, as he can. Johnny
0: Bearstow's a little cunt.
1: And Johnny Bearstow, he's is a little cunt, but he'll he, get it done. You know get what I mean? It done. Like he's in the conditioning, like he'll he'll show Ben Stokes that like I can't hang with you, but I'm willing to try. Yeah. Ollie Robinson is just basically walking through the first few levels. Anyway, Ollie goes this summer, learned a lot in Australia. I'm coming back best shape of my life and i heard this in an audio medium okay. so i'm not seeing the how he so looks you're, in any you're,
0: view. you're picturing the shape
1: correct i'm i'm thinking there'll be a semblance of a jawline when the when the coin gets tossed like, up for the first test of you're the thinking summer
0: when ollie robinson walks out it's like when chris pratt walked out for jurassic park correct and you're like holy I'm shit! i'm thinking
1: maybe there's steroids involved because bill's a fucking conspiracy theorist oh, all that yeah. shit. you're running that conspiracy all day and i'm saying bill's gonna resent ollie robinson for how good shape he is when I say I thought he was wearing a jumper when he walked out, <laughs> I thought, oh, it must be cold there because Ollie's got layers on. Yeah, dead Dude, set. I thought, like, it's good for us. Let's bowl first. And little did I know, it was in the middle of the UK's only heat wave in my entire lifetime. And England bat first, obviously, because it's a flat track. And I'm like, oh, Ollie's done it again, this piece of shit. And then on the balcony, I see him there. Brennan's got his feet up. Stokes is watching. Ollie's in the back. I heard the wrapper <laughs> opening.
0: Oh, my I God. I heard the sound
1: of it, mate. You hear it in there. There's confectionery in that fucking locker room, mate, dude. Mate, keep the sugar away from him. Dude. Do you know what do it you is? Know? And he's like, oh, it's only uh, to get my saliva, like,
0: so I can shine the ball better. Yeah. It's like, okay,
1: Ollie, you're swallowing those fucking yeah. things that we all see you doing. Mate, it. They're
0: fucking redskins, brother. That's not gum. <laughs> But do you know this dude's is? having
1: a tiramisu before the
0: break. mate. Ollie Robinson, this is a hundred percent true. If Ollie Robinson was born in Australia, he would never have played Test cricket, because in England with these fucking these wet decks and the the softer pitches, you can get away with this. You can't get away with it. It's actually extremely effective. This back of a length t- coming from a tall bowler and with the ball seaming around a bit, it's fucking hard to play.
1: Here, here's my hot take, right? If Ollie Robinson's born in Australia. He's getting his ass handed to him by Dougie Bollinger in the big test. Dead <laughs> Do you know dead. what I mean? Like, Bollinger, another guy, like, shows up, like, red in the face, walking out to the yeah.
0: field. Like, not a picture of conditioning. Ollie Robinson would be dead. He would have passed out via heat stroke at 16. That's the thing. There's, there's levels somewhere. to
1: this kind of flabby, happy go lucky fast yeah. bowler thing. And Dougie is levels above Ollie 100%. Robinson. 100%. So I feel like there's, there's nothing in that. But, and then obviously, you know, you, we've got the situation where it's like, I've always had this issue with Joe Root. Where it's like one of the best players of my lifetime, like watching play for England. But I, never love, like, I
0: love Joe Root, so be careful here.
1: But never willing to sacrifice like five runs off his average to bat for three bat at three for his country. Like when he was the captain, like he's just snug there at four, like willing to score his runs. But it's like if you're coming out at 28 for two every time, we're behind the game already. Like we need yep. you coming out early. No, if you I, lose I actually, early wicket, you got and Michael Vaughan did it. Michael Vaughan was making all those runs open in the batting. Andrew Strauss comes along, and they go, "We we don't have a number three. Like no, you're going to have to sacrifice runs off your average. You're maybe not going to be scoring the runs you were when you were opening. No, I agree. But with you're going to do this I, for the team because you're the captain, and that's yeah, what you need. To I do. resent
0: this modern trend of um gun players batting at four. Yeah, I think stroke makers should bat at four. But here's the thing: the best player in the team should bat at three. We
1: got Ollie Pope out there now. Yeah,
0: dude. I, I I I've seen no like Steve Smith refuses to bat at three. Of for some reason. I see no reason why Steve Smith should bat at th- shouldn't bat at three. Right. He's the best player in the world, let alone our team. Yeah. Um, when we had Kowaja, now we have Marnus Labuschagne, so it's not a big deal because okay. Marnus is a gun. But uh, Michael Clarke refused to bat at three. Yeah. There was a there was a time, uh, and I don't think Michael Clarke gets the fucking credit because people dislike him. Right. There's something about this bloke. He's a little bit unlikable for yeah. whatever reason. He was my fucking hero for years. I loved, I loved watching Michael Clarke bat. And there was a point, maybe 2016 through to fucking 2014 through to 2016. I'm making this up, but there was a point in that transition period where Michael Clark was our whole batting lineup. Right. This is in the era when he, he got those du- multiple double hundreds against Three, South right, Africa. Yeah. You have the triple century against India. In South Africa. The Bengal
1: era. I think
0: we're. <laughs> yeah, like this is. Dude, this is peak Michael Clark. Like, this is the Spartan Michael Clark where right. it, it was just um, untenable how many runs this guy was getting. And through that whole thing, we had revolving door at number three after punter left. Right. And it's like... But that's the thing. Can't Ricky can just Potting, bat at three. Ricky Ponting has 2,000 more test runs if he bats at four his whole career. 100%. No, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Would you rather come out at fucking one for none or three for 200? Of course, that's you'd it. much rather come out at three for 200. Right. But that's not the point. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, uh, the thing was like, mate, you just got to get, just fucking get out there. Like, mate, we'd be one for none before fucking Justin Langer's even walked off the pitch. Punter's marking center. Right. He's ravenous. He's fucking ravenous. And then they'd bump him early with a new ball and we're fucking picking it out of a construction yeah. site three blocks over. Yeah. That was, you know what I mean? That's what a number three does. You fucking right. go out there and face the music. The point is you're out there because it's, a, it's better for the team that you fucking exactly. deal with this- Rather than the next, and your numbers
1: will suffer, but like
0: that's the nature they get. We'll win more games. It is harder. That's the point. But it's harder. It's harder. But you're better. Right. That's why you're out there. Anyway, mate. I feel like sorry. I'm just gonna cut you off here because I feel like we're just gonna get fucking (laughs) like (laughs) we'll be here three days from now talking about like. And mate, here's the thing: if you don't declare on day three, you're not (laughs) setting up. Like, you know, like anyway, mate. I. all right, fuck. Speaking of, I completely forgot. So, Freddie, your friend show, September 28 and 30 at the Factory Theatre. Yeah. It's called Freddie McManus is Stoppable. Check out Freddie McManus on Instagram. He's got some great stand-up clips on there. I've worked with Freddie for years. He's open for me. I've opened for him. He's the fucking man. Great comedian. you got to go and see his show. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'll be there on the Friday. So, come on through. Wednesday and Friday, September 28 and 30 at the Factory Theatre. Freddie McManus is stoppable. Come and see that stand-up hour. All tickets at fringecomedy.com.au. Yes, sir. Perfect. Is that it? Fuck yeah. All right, cool.